Samuel chapter 9 is where we're at. 1 Samuel chapter 9. Last week we began the study on Saul's life with a demand, and tonight we talk about donkeys. Okay, so a little bit of a turn of event, but this is how Saul gets introduced to us. We've seen how the elders of Israel have demanded a king. Now we see how God uses donkeys to bring Saul to the throne. Uh, the donkeys resulted in Saul meeting Samuel, who was responsible for, for uh, anointing the king of Israel. And this story, as we read tonight, really reminds us how God uses common everyday things to bring about his will in our life. Uh, I look back, and you can probably do the same thing, but I look back on my life and look at many situations where you see random things that happen that change the rest of your life, that really set the course a different direction. Uh, in college, I needed a, I was looking at possibly buying a plane ticket, and so I was asking around to a couple of the people about, uh, I needed to get a plane ticket, how do we go about, you know, this was before Expedia.com, like a year before Expedia.com. Um, and uh, so, you know, I was talking to different people and say, well, you need to talk to Katie Hall. She just flew home and back. And uh, and when I met Katie Hall, of course, she fell madly in love with me. And that was the end of that. And uh, so, you know, we were married uh, several years later. So uh, but just just that simple, simple thing, you know, that that caught, changes your whole life. Early married. We, we were just married for a short time. And a friend of hers from Michigan uh, had been uh, had actually visited Bob Jones. We were kind of on the way there, and so she had heard we were in the area there, and she thought, well, we'd just stop by and see us. And they dropped by and saw us, and we visited for a while. And uh, her dad was the pastor of a church who didn't have a youth director. Uh, her husband was the owner of a business that uh, could, could employ people. And long story short, that led us moving to Michigan, living there for 16 years until we got a call from South Dakota. Uh, just a, a random meeting changes everything. You can look at that as you look back over your life. Um, I was at a banquet in Michigan uh, after serving in a youth as a youth pastor. We went to a banquet of a where a man spoke, special speaker that we had in. He did ne he had no me he never met me. He knew my wife's father. But he hadn't met me before, and uh, so uh, we got to talking. He offered me a position as a youth pastor to replace a man named Daniel Minton, who was going to Africa as a missionary. So he was a youth pastor. Now he needed somebody to replace Daniel Minton, uh, who later would candidate at Bible Baptist Church in Brookings, not take the position and give them my name, and then they would call me. I mean, it's just amazing, isn't it? Uh, just happened to go to a banquet, met the right person. and the, So we look back at our life, and two things we learn from that. We can say, wow, you know, Lord, use something really little to make something big, and, and the total course of our life can change. The second thing we got to remember, don't, don't resent. Sometimes when things happen, a flat tire uh, or a something breaking down, uh, sometimes they may be irritations that God uses to bring about uh, some some great change or to save you from a tragedy that you don't know about. You know, a few minutes ago, a uh, pastor mentioned 
we might get to heaven and, and see all kinds of rewards, you know, that we could have gotten or would have gotten. I think we can also maybe see a lot of tragedies we avoided we never were aware of that God saved us from them. Maybe it was through a flat tire or a broke down car or something like that. Uh, so in, in our text here, Saul sets out to find some donkeys and ends up finding a kingdom. And uh, the providence of God is at work. He's at work in your life too. The providence of God does not need major events uh, to bring about major happenings. It can use minor events sometimes. As large doors turn on small hinges, so great events can turn on little incidents. You can find them in your life if you look back, as I did this week and just started thinking about different things that happened. It's like, wow, one different move on one different day could have just totally different way. You, you remember those books, Choose Your Own Adventure books? I saw them when I was a kid. Used to collect, uh, get them from the library when I was little. You know, you, you start reading and then you, uh, you know, you attack the bad guys and then you get killed. And so you go back and you choose a different route. And it, yeah, uh, that's kind of how I look at my life backwards. You know, you make one decision and you go this direction. Or you could have made a different decision, went that direction. God uses these little things in our life. Uh, the word providence. I like the, the idea of the providence of God. The word providence comes from two Latin words, pro, meaning before, and videre, uh, where we get our word video, which basically means to see. So the word providence, all the word providence really means is to see before, to see before. And when we talk about the providence of God, all we really are saying is that God sees before and he plans accordingly. Now, who are you going to trust? Someone who can see your future? Or you and me who cannot see our own future? We better trust God who's got it all in his hands. All right. So uh, I, I think the providence of God is a wonderful thing. Now, Saul becoming a king is not a picture of obedience, as we saw clearly last week. This is not Israel taking a step of obedience uh, and holiness because the people's demand was not good, it was evil. Uh, but it illustrates how God works through simple means to bring us to an appointed place. Uh, what might seem like a chance, insignificant meeting with someone, like my meeting a pastor at a banquet, led to, to steps that led me to stand right here this evening, you know. And uh, just uh, seemingly chance, it wasn't chance in God's eyes, it was providence. And uh, what an amazing thing to trust him. Uh, these can be God-ordered events in our lives to help Him accomplish His will in us. Okay, So be encouraged that God controls the events of man. You don't have to manipulate circumstances. You don't have to manipulate things to make uh, it turn out all right for you. What about just walking in obedience to God and He will bring those things to pass? In fact, He says that in Matthew 6.33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. What is he talking about? All these things. Well, read the chapter. You'll see food, clothing, money, all these things. Uh, he says, you just seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, let's break down the story. Let's start at verse number 1, chapter 9. Now, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had 
two, he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward he was higher than any of the people. The asses of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Take now one of the servants with thee, and arise and seek the asses. And he passed through Mount Ephraim, and he passed through the land of Shalisha, but they found them not. And they passed through the land of Shalem, and there they were not. He passed through the land of Benjamites, but there found them not. Let's jump down to verse number 8. And the servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have here at hand the fourth part of shekel of cereal, silver that I will give to the man of God to tell us our way. Before time in Israel, when a man went to the inquire of God, thus he spake, Come, let us go to the seer, for he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. So Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went into the city where the man of God was. So they were looking for these donkeys, could not find them. In verse 6, the servant's like, let's find a man of God and see what he has to say. Not always a bad idea, amen, to find somebody who uh, has has the ear of God or some more wisdom than we do about the, the things of God to ask direction from them. So, uh, But let's look tonight at this. Let's first pray as we start. Thank you, Father, for the reading of your word. I pray you'd bless these next few minutes together. In Jesus' name, amen. So there was a man of Benjamin. We look first at the possessor of the donkeys here, whose name was Cush, uh, Kish. He was the father of the man who would be the first king of Israel. Uh, the uh, tribe of Benjamin, which would provide the first king of Israel, uh, all the other kings of, of the nation of Israel came from the tribe of Judah from this point on, but he came from the tribe of Benjamin. And uh, the tribe of Benjamin had a tragic past. Do you, if you remember, if you've been around for a while, we went through some uh, judges messages a while back, and as we went through the book of Judges, uh, we, if you remember how they were almost annihilated in a war uh, against the other tribes of Israel because they... Uh, gross immorality that happened in Gibeah. Remember we talked about Gibeah, and Gibeah was much like, really, Sodom and Gomorrah, the same situation. Men came and wanted to take them and, and commit immorality with them. So uh, because the Benjamites did not handle that correctly, in Judges chapter 19, they were almost wiped out. Uh, so Kish was from this Benjamite uh, tribe. Now the word, uh, it says here in the beginning that he was a mighty man of power in verse 1. Uh, the word power has different meanings, strength, uh, army, and wealth in this word, the original word for power. But the context here is obviously wealth. He came from a, an affluent family. He was from a wealthy family. Uh, scripture then gives us an introduction to Saul himself in verse 2. Look at what it says. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man, a goodly, there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he, uh, from his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. So three things are said about Saul in this text that would encourage the Israelites to choose him as their king. He was healthy, first of all. The Bible says he was a choice young man. This talks about a young man in the prime of his life, which is like 47, right? I think somewhere there. Uh, R. Payne Smith interprets this uh, phrase as in the full flower of manhood. And this is important because Saul would be required to lead Israel in army, uh, Israelite army in battle. And uh, fighting Israel's battles was one of the reasons that the people wanted a king. Remember chapter 8 verse 20, they said that. And so it takes more though than good physical health to be a good ruler. Wouldn't you agree? 
uh, we've seen a lot of people that uh, health has no, is no substitute for wisdom and character and all those things. And then the second thing said about him was goodly. There was not a, among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. Simply put, he was a good-looking guy. He was a really good-looking guy. In fact, he was handsomer than anybody else, pretty much. Uh, this would appeal to the Israelites also because they were looking on the outward. Now, we're going we're gonna to paint this picture as we go through uh, in the big picture. Remember, this is the people's choice. Later, we have God's choice in David. This is the people's choice. So God's giving them what they asked for unwisely. He's giving them somebody that looks good. He's not going to be good, but he looks really good. And uh, they were looking only at outward appearance for their king. Now, that's dumb. You can't tell what's in a person just by the outside. Have we learned that? I think we've probably all old enough to know that. A few years ago, uh, just for the record, I never watch the uh, show America's Got Talent or Brit Britain's Got Talent, but I do watch uh, some, some clips of it sometimes. And a few years ago, Susan Boyle stepped out on stage uh, of Britain's Got Talent. She looked nothing like a star. Overweight, frumpy. Weird hair, quirky attitude. People laughed at her. As soon as she got up, people started laughing at her. Members of the audience could be seen, could be seen rolling their eyes when she spoke. Uh, they asked her who she would like to sing like, and she said, Elaine Page, which is a big star over in Britain. And then the audience roared in laughter and uh, made, were basically hooting at her that she would ever get to be with the likes of Elaine Page. And then began, she began to sing with a voice like an angel. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but I dreamed a dream, she sang. And instantly, mouths fell open. People were in shock. And uh, they, they, they were amazed at what they heard. Why? Because they judged by appearance. And appearance is not always a true uh, teller of what's on the inside. Uh, by the way, Within a year of that moment, she sang with that Elaine Page on stage on national television. Uh, but uh, her talent was on the inside. We rarely do we give people a chance to show what they are, good or bad. We so quickly make a judgment on somebody that, uh, and then we, in our mind, that's that. That's who they are. They're that way, and I'm not going to, we don't give them a chance uh, to, to really show what they're about. God looks at what we're all about, and he looks on the inside to do it. In other words, when we measure a person, we measure by what we see. When God measures a person, he puts the tape around the heart, around the inside. Okay? We only have what we see. By the, let me stop and say this, by the way. When it comes to standards, people will use the reason, well, it doesn't matter what you are on the outside. It just matters what you are on the inside. That's garbage, too. Okay? Yes, God sees what you are on the inside. But guess what? Nobody else does. Nobody else can see what's on the inside. And so our outside should match our inside. Amen? We should look like a Christian, talk like a Christian, dress like a Christian, and, and uh, treat others like a Christian. So uh, let's never get caught up on that. I can do whatever I want, live however I want, drink whatever I want, and smoke whatever I want, because it only matters what's in the heart. Well, it does matter what's in the heart, but Jesus said what's on the inside what, what cometh forth from the ins, uh, on the outside is what was on the inside. I think I really perverted what he said, but that was, that was essentially his idea, all right? All right, um, so Saul had lots of physical appearance. He was the Mr. America of that day. 
And of course, looks, good looks are not evil in and of themselves, or Larry would be in big trouble, right? Uh, but uh, there are no substitute for wisdom and character. Amen? So let's look a little deeper than just the outside. Not only was he healthy and handsome, he was also high. Not high on drugs, but high in height. I needed an H word, okay? So uh, he was from his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. Height is important if you're looking for a basketball player, but height is not a prerequisite to be a king. Uh, Saul was unique in that he was the tallest person in Israel. And this was quite a combination. He was tall and handsome. He was the whole package. <laughs> We're going to see later he has talent. By the way, it's funny to me because here it says he was the tallest in all the land. Do you remember later, we'll get to this later, but in 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, another tall man named Goliath is walking up and down a valley, and uh, he's challenging Israel and uh, cursing their God. And this tallest man in the land puts his armor on a boy to go fight his battle. I just think that's interesting. Who should have fought Goliath? The tallest man in the land should have fought Goliath and stood up for, for God, but that's not what happened. Now, again, this would impress the Israelites. They're only looking on the outside. Uh, most people are still attracted to the outward physical attributes much more than the inward. Uh, politicians, Hollywood celebrities, uh, are, they're, they're, they gain a lot more popularity if they're especially good looking. And even churches make this mistake in uh, calling uh, uh, calling a pastor. If he looks good, if he... Has, if he is able to talk right and uh, you know presents a good package and has a good-looking family and all those things, and nothing wrong with any of those things, but we ought not ever be more concerned about physical features and abilities than we are about character. Character is what really matters at the end of the day. Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, did not include in his qualifications for a pastor tall or handsome. Thank God for that because some of us would be out of a job, amen? So, uh, but anyway, uh, look, character is what we're looking for. Let's look at verse number three as he starts to pursue the donkeys. The asses of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And he says to his son, take now the servants with thee, arise and go seek the asses. This is not an unusual happening, all right? Any of us who were raised on a farm, I used to chase calves all the time who broke out, uh, you know, hole in the fence, and then the neighbor would call, and we'd be out looking for, looking for the cows that got out. Uh, this is not an unusual thing, but what is unusual is how God's going to use it to get him to meet Samuel. It's going to be providential. Because where they're found, when they find out that they're found, after all these places they go to, it's when Samuel says, your asses are found. So Kish orders Saul to take a servant and go look for him. And, he, and Saul shows some uh, immediate obedience here. In fact, by the way, as we are introduced to Saul, we're going to see many good things, many good qualities about him. Uh, it's too bad that he didn't continue these after he became king. But he searched for the donkeys in many places, starting at verse 4 there. Not finding them, he still keeps at it. And this speaks of dedication. It speaks of good character in him because he doesn't just quit. My, but we lack men with dedication today. Men and women, for that matter. Uh, it does not take great men to do great things. It takes consecrated men, dedicated men, committed men. And when I say men, I'm saying mankind in general. Okay? It takes committed people. It doesn't take great people. It takes committed people. 
And uh, so our duty may be difficult and the results may not come for some time, but we ought to be like Saul here and just keep at it until we get to it. Doing our duty is more important than the results. And friend, if you put more emphasis on the results than you do on your duty, on what's doing what's right, then you'll use unholy methods to get them. You see that in churches all the time. If you're more concerned about Churches do that with people. Oh, we got to bring people out. We got to bring. We got to fill this place up. We got to attract the thousands. And so they'll, they'll, they'll use unholy methods to reach more people. That's not the answer ever, and uh, we shouldn't shouldn't see that. Verse four. They found them not. It says there they were not, and then it says and they found them not three times in this verse. Bible says they failed to find them. They looked everywhere, and uh, Saul then said to his servant, in verse five. Come and let us return. I, he, I think it's interesting. He says, why? Lest my father leave caring for the asses and take thought for us. Well, this is kind of nice. <laughs> he says, it, this shows us Kish would be much more concerned about them than he would be about a bunch of donkeys. And that's only right. Amen. That means that Saul probably grew up at least in a somewhat loving home. Uh, dad cared about him more than he cared about his business, cared about him more than his livestock. And so uh, that's a good thing. Not every dad today cares about their kids more than they care about their business, unfortunately. Number three, let's look at the prophet and the donkeys here. The, prophet, the donkeys brought Saul into contact with him. Look at verse number six. Said unto him, Behold, now there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he saith cometh surely to pass. Now let us go thither, and peradventure he can show us the way we should go. Saul's disappointment, don't miss this little gem, Saul's disappointment led to an appointment. Now, this is going to happen in your life more often. Sometimes we don't even recognize it. But our disappointments can turn into appointments with the right people. Um, it, it, it caused him to seek out Samuel. It resulted in Samuel's enlightening Saul about his appointment to be king. Often we find that our disappointments can be appointments to greater blessing. And uh, how much greater, by the way, is it to find a kingdom than a bunch of donkeys? Amen? Wouldn't you agree? He, he, he's out seeking for donkeys and ends up with the dominion, good say. Don't let disappointments discourage you. Sometimes, I mean, it's easy when we are disappointed in some way, but don't let them put you in despair. Saul was deficient in spiritual matters. Saul's servant knew more about spiritual matters than Saul did. We'll see this in a little bit again. And uh, so he's the one that brings up to go to the man of God. Our text indicates that Saul's interest in Samuel was not for spiritual help, but only for material. That's still a problem today as well, where people are only after material goods, even coming to church for it sometimes. Matthew Henry said this, Most people would rather be told their fortune than told their duty. How to be rich than how to be saved. If there were the business, if it were the business of men of God to direct for the recovery of lost donkeys, they would be consulted much more than they are now that it is their business to direct for the recovery of lost souls. Fancy way of saying it, it that people are, more, are quicker to ask about something that will benefit them financially or physically than it will spiritually. Now, the, let's look at down verse 15. Now the Lord told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and I shall anoint him to be captain over my, over my people Israel. 
And then uh, look at verse number 17, I think it is. Um, and when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold, the man whom I spake to thee of, this same shall reign over my people. Let's look at three aspects here of God informing Samuel. First, the cause. Samuel needed to be informed. Obviously, he was going to be the one to anoint him, so he needed to be told. Uh, the last chapter recorded the demand of the people for a king, but there is an oddity in this demand. I don't know if you noticed this. I didn't notice this until I was studying this this week. This is a one time in history of mankind that this has ever happened that we know of. Uh, the case of Israel demanding a king, but not having someone in mind to be king. That's never happened before. Never happened anywhere. If you have a people, if you have, in South America we see it, you have rebels and they're trying to insert a leader. And they have someone that's leading them at that time. Hugo Chavez, I think, got in power that way. All right. And uh, in fact, uh, the guy in Cuba, what's his, uh, thank you, Castro, he got in power that way. So they're, they are coming demanding power, and they have somebody in mind to take it over, usually themselves, all right? Matthew Henry said this, Most governments begin in an ambition of the prince to rule, but in Israel's, the ambition was to be ruled. <laughs> they didn't have anybody in mind. Uh, I'm unaware of any other time in history that a people determined to appoint a king but didn't have anybody in mind. That's an interesting thing as a student of history. Uh the people had enough respect for Samuel, or his office at least still, that they were going to leave this up to him, which was one smart thing they did. Uh, they left the choice of king up to him. And, of course, who did Samuel leave it up to? God. All right, so now God told him it was Saul. Now, not only the cause, but the certainty. First, God spoke to Samuel about Saul before he arrived, verse 15 and 16. Then he talked about Saul after he arrived in verse 17. It is important for Samuel to know with no doubt that this is going to be the new king because it's still hard for him to accept that they're asking for it in the first place. Remember, it was a rejection of Samuel that asked them to get a king. Of course, ultimately of God. But I got, if, if the people, that's not how Samuel feels. I can just tell you, the man of God doesn't feel that way when they're, when they're rejecting his words. It doesn't feel, oh, well, that's all right. They're just rejecting God. It, it feels personal. And it felt personal to Samuel. I'm sure it did. Then the character. God gave Samuel a hint here of the problem that would be in Saul's kingdom. In verse 17, he says in the last part of the verse, the same shall reign over my people. The Hebrew word translated reign there means to restrain, literally to coerce and to control. This is the only time in the Bible this Hebrew word is translated into reign. It is What we see here is an illustration of God's permissive will. He granted their request, but he warned them of the cost. Oh, let us be careful, friends, of demanding our way. In Psalms, it says he gave them their request, but he sent leanness to their soul. We don't want to be where God gives us what we want and we lose what we have, which is what happened to them. Uh, so God is always informing us of the Saul's in our life. He gives us those warnings. I love the great message that Brother Dwight preached about warnings, wasn't it? And he gives us those warnings. He, uh, uh, God's word gives us ample warnings. The problem is that people just pay little attention to it, and they're easily duped by evil. Look at verse 19, uh, 18. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, I pray thee, where is the seer's house, or where the seer's house is? And Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. This is a problem. This is a problem. Samuel had to introduce himself to Saul. Saul only lived 20 miles from Samuel his whole life. 
They were just 20 miles apart. Samuel was at the temple. Um, I'll just bring it out in modern terminology. Saul never went to church, all right? That's just modern terminology. Here's a man of God, and Saul doesn't even recognize him. They're, they're, he's local. This is his local preacher, and he doesn't even recognize him. It uh, shows a little bit of spiritual detriment in Saul's life. Uh, he is typical of many people who rise to high positions in government and other places. They know a lot about life, but they're woefully ignorant about spiritual matters. And does this hurt their governing ability? I'll let you answer that question. Of course it does. I remember the new pharaoh that came in before Israel got put into bondage. What did he, the Bible says in Exodus 1.8? He came into throne in Egypt who knew not Joseph. And as a result of that deficiency of spiritual knowledge, uh, Egypt suffered destruction. Of course, Israelites were in bondage for many, many years. Uh, when men excel in worldly knowledge, but they're ignorant of spiritual matters, this sets, sets the stage for judgment. So now Samuel announces to Saul his future. Look at verse number 20. Or the last part of verse 20. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is, not, is it not on thee? and all thy father's house. This announcement would be a shock, as we see if we keep reading, and Saul, Saul's like, who am I? I'm a nobody. He wasn't trying to gain any position. He was just trying to find donkeys. But in looking for donkeys, he found a kingdom. This is, this is you and me, ladies and gentlemen. Sometimes this is what happens. We're on our way. We've got our plan, and God says, no, i got a different plan. And I'm going to put that, you're going to seek after that, but I'm going to give you that. By the way, God's is always better than ours, always, so don't fight it. If we get God's plan uh, it, replacing ours, it's always better. He's on an assignment for his earthly father. He runs into an assignment from his heavenly father. This happens for us sometimes. Be faithful in your lowly assignment if you want a higher assignment. If you want a promotion in the future, then do a good job where you are right now. If you fail in your present position, you will not be a candidate for a better position. And so that's what God did to, to Saul here. And uh, it, it behooves us to serve God where we are now. And uh, I like how one preacher put it, bloom where you are planted. Sometimes we want to be planted somewhere else. Just bloom where you're planted and let God take care of that. Uh, we see in the following verses Saul's initial humility. We won't have time to get into that tonight, uh, but you can read that for yourselves and then understand that it doesn't last. All right, Humility that he has here will not last. That, that will be overtaken by pride very soon. But Some good lessons for us tonight, amen? Thank you, Father.